Welcome to the Consummate Athlete Podcast, where our goal is to help you find health and community through movement. I'm Molly Herford, a writer, coach, and yoga teacher. And I'm Peter Glassford, an endurance coach and kinesiologist. Every week, we're talking to athletes and experts who can help you lead your best active, adventurous life. Whether you're a gravel racer, a marathon runner, or you just got out on your first bike ride yesterday, we're here cheering you on. You can also visit us online at consummateathlete.com for coaching information and training tips, nutrition advice, yoga flows, bike skills, and more. And now, let's get into this week's episode. Hello, hello. Welcome back to another episode of the Consummate Athlete Podcast. Peter, how you doing? I'm doing medium. I guess I'm still sore. I had a big crash there about a week ago at Canadian Mountain Bike Nationals, which uh, people are surprised they crash, but it happens all the time. It's just this one was was not quite as uh, you know acrobatic and smooth as I often make it. I don't know that you're ever that smooth, Glassford. There's a range, I guess, right? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, on that note, we'll probably end up doing an episode sort of about what to do, how to deal with having a race that didn't go your way. I know. We've probably done a few of those. We've definitely done a few of those. That's that's life. That's bike racing. I think. Cycle through these topics, I guess. I think Uh, the words that's bike racing came out of my mouth probably like 200 times in the past week. Yeah. Trying to just explain it, right? Because no one likes to see anyone get hurt, right? But Mm -hmm. it is. Yeah. It's sort of the way of the way of things, especially, you know, I've been saying, you know, I'm still trying to race at the uh, quote unquote elite level. Uh, So just the speeds are high, right? And, And you're just you're really really pushing it right everything's at its limit so if, if it's not perfect on that day it yeah and i mean you're doing that go quite I, sideways and you're doing that against people who for for whom full-time racing er, racing is their full-time job and actually that's one of the topics that we got into on today's podcast so today we have gravel racer gravel organizer and entrepreneurial badass jess sarah on the podcast so she actually started as a professional road racer mm. um, and has recently shifted into gravel but I think what's super cool about her is her background is much more in sort of the economics, finance, business sort of side of things. In addition to being a personal chef, uh, she took all of that and ended up creating uh, JoJ Bars, which, you know, has kind of spiraled into doing all different things. But she was doing that while she was racing. And she's not the only female uh, professional roadie that we've talked to uh, who has sort of this background. I feel like if you actually calculated how many people in the women's peloton have advanced degrees, it's a shocking number. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's true of uh, probably similar would be with picky bars, right? There's, you know, lots of examples of this, I think, in the, I guess, elite females for sure. Yeah. I mean, we we had Kristen Faulkner, who's a, who was a venture capitalist on the podcast right. before, and she's a professional road racer. Uh, and yeah, a lot of them have a master's in engineering. Uh, there's obviously we've now all heard that the PhD in mathematics won the Olympics. So yeah, it's a pretty interesting thing. And we sort of talk about why that is, um, but it, not, in, not necessarily even a negative way, just in a way that... Well, it's a way that is, right? But it, it does create a nice story. It creates, you know, people who are interesting to talk to is the other thing, right? It's not that the specialist is, is bad, but like someone who's only ridden bikes their entire life, mm-hmm. you know, from, from birth is, you know, they're just, there's only so much they can talk about often, right? They've become very elite at a single, single pointy yeah. thing. And I think that also her experiences make her much more accessible or her advice much more accessible to, to people like you and me who have regular jobs. You know, we work a lot of hours during the week. Uh, so has she her entire cycling career. Yeah, yeah. How do you fit it in? How do you fit in? So you know, inventing things and learning to cook and 
yeah. but also learning to ride a bike and ride a bike well. I'm a little obsessed with her quadrant idea. She okay. will get into that and at the end. Product, I don't want a productivity solution. Yeah, no, you know I love a productivity solution. It's my favorite thing. Okay. Uh, no spoilers though. Uh, but also before we dive in, we are doing a giveaway with her. So if you want to win two boxes of JoJ bars in the flavor of your choice and two boxes of salt sticks, her other uh, product that she's working on right now, uh, all you have to do is share the Instagram post for this podcast. And we always put up a little video clip. We also put up a quote so you can share either of those this week just in your stories and make sure you tag us at Consummate Athlete and tag her at Jess Sarah. That's J-E-S-S-C-E-R-R-A. Uh, and give her a follow because you can follow along with all of the really cool stuff that she's up to as well. Uh, but yeah, do that. And one lucky person is going to get a pretty sweet giveaway package. So yeah, without further ado, should we dive into this episode? I think that's great. Let's check all it right. out. All right. Enjoy this episode with Jess Sarah and head over to consummateathlete.com to grab all the show notes and all that fun stuff. I'm super excited to have you on the podcast because it's super cool to talk to people who are doing so many different things in the endurance sport space. So the first thing I like to ask whenever people have this like multi-hyphenate thing is just how do you describe yourself when you, when someone is like, so what do you do uh, without, you know, making them sit down and like have a coffee while you take the time to explain all of the things? I know, right. It's the elevator pitch of who is Jess. So, and it, it's evolved, it's evolved over time. And I used to look at myself as, hi, I'm a professional cyclist. And I'm a private chef and I have the small energy bar company called JoJ Bar. And now it's evolved to, I'm the vice president of JoJ Bar and I have a gravel event and I also race professionally in quotation marks. <laughs> That's a lot of things. I like it. Um, I actually didn't realize that you were sort of the, the founder of the JoJ Bar. So let's, let's start with that because that's super interesting. How did you end up putting that together? Was it just you were a professional chef and a cyclist and just wanted a certain kind of bar or how did it come about? So it started when I was in grad school, I was studying exercise physiology. My intent was to do a PhD and I found cycling in grad school and derailed <laughs> cycling does. It's very polarizing and, and I was pretty good at it. And so I wanted an opportunity to try to race professionally and to support myself, I started a small private chef and catering company, which is another random piece of this. So I had a background in preparing food and knowing the nutritional needs of athletes, knowing what I wanted and what I didn't like in the energy bar category. This was also back in 2009, 2010. So it wasn't like you walk into Whole Foods and you have 17,000 energy bars to choose from. It was like Cliff Bar and Power Bar. And I felt like there was room to improve. And there was also a lot of new research coming out showing that endurance athletes needed more fat, that we operate on, you know, fat, unless we're in these high intensity zones. And that relates to like how your stomach feels when you get off the bike and you're running in a triathlon or what have you. So I decided I could make this bar that met the nutritional requirements kind of filled a void. And then the sort of crazy thing was my coach and friend, Leslie Patterson had been diagnosed with Lyme's disease and she needed a gluten-free diet. And that was really new. 
So I also had to figure out how to make it gluten-free. And she said, I really want to be able to eat cookies still on the bike. It was like, our favorite thing is like, go to a cafe, load your pockets up with cookies or scones and go out and ride. And that was something that was like going to be missing. So I wanted to make it taste like a cookie bar and that's how it started. And it turned out there's a lot of other people out there that wanted something different and that digested differently and that tasted really unique and homemade. And it just, it built momentum. And before I knew it, really before I knew it, I'm in a commercial kitchen. I'm, we're producing the bars, we're selling them locally. And then the big pickup was when REI brought them in. And then that was just like the conduit to everyone outdoors, everyone who, you know, loves healthy food and delicious food and, you know, being active. And that's the JoJ story in a nutshell, basically. Oh my gosh. I mean, I was gonna, the next question I wanted to ask was like, how did you end up starting a gravel event? But I feel like clearly you've been prepared for this for a while, figuring out how to start a food business, which is not the easiest of, of the niches to get into, um, without like a business background or like finding like a business partner who like handled that. I mean, that's, and that was while still racing. That was while still racing. I mean, but the, you know, the fire is there with women in cycling. We are never like, we're not making enough money to support ourselves. And you know, I don't need to tell you this in the Peloton, you're like riding next to like a PhD doctor and a teacher and like all these amazing characters. So it's not uncommon, but that also you fuel each other when you're off the bike. So when you're traveling on a professional team, we're not laying around just getting massages and taking naps. We're all hustling while we're traveling and racing. So had a lot of really great female influences and support through my teams. Um, But to your point, I told someone this weekend, it's kind of funny um, when I wanted to start this gravel event in Whitefish, there's more moving parts than even I realized. I think we had seven different permits from landowners and I, you know, people thought it was a joke, not in a mean way, but they were just like, she's never going to pull it off. Like there goes Jess in her little pink Pelotio jersey riding down the road. Like she doesn't. And the reality is, is that I had a really, I was a CEO of my own company and I taught myself how to be a CEO. It's not like I was the CEO of Nike, but I definitely have, I taught myself and I learned a lot and I actually know how to reverse engineer a business that it's not really just about the idea, but you have to have a budget and you have to know how to run a business from a financial perspective and from an operational perspective. And so that was really helpful when thinking about how do we start this race? Yes, absolutely. And I think probably most people who go into starting the races have no idea what they're getting into until they're way down the road. And I think you're totally right. Every professional female like cyclist or runner or triathlete that we've had on inevitably is yeah somehow an investment banker or mm-hmm. yeah PhD or all of these other things um, so it's always really funny to kind of hear the the like oh and side story to my full-time racing career I also like teach this at a university and do this and do this exactly. so yeah very fairly impressive yeah you know we, we do a lot of things <laughs> Okay. So let's, let's talk about the last, the last best ride. Okay. First of all, that name, how did you come up with that? 
So Montana is known as the last best place. And there was actually a book written about the last best place. And I have always been drawn to that moniker. I just think it's really cool. So when we started thinking about it, we were like, oh, the last best race. But really we wanted, we didn't feel like the word race in itself is not inclusive, but ride is more inclusive because a ride can be a race or it can be just we're riding bikes for fun on our amazing gravel roads. So that's how we landed on the name. And we do tell the story on our website. My partner and boyfriend, Sam Fordman, he is an he has a degree in English and a degree in Spanish. And so he is, his strength has really come in like through our website and being a wordsmith, which I am not. So yeah, we tell, we tell that story on there and it's also really cool because you can't actually trademark that phrase. So we can't really trademark it, but you know, we can't like, we're not stealing it. We're just, hopefully we're showing some love to that really cool phrase. I like that. So what, why start a gravel event? I mean, it seems like you already have enough because it's not just that you, you started the JoJ bar. You're also now the vice president um, and you're still doing a lot with that and with other nutrition products. So it's not like, oh yes, I suddenly had nothing to do or nothing on my plate. You had a lot of things on your plate and in your bottle, I guess. <laughs> so yeah, exactly. Why add a gravel event? <laughs> That, you know, sometimes I ask myself that question. It's a fair one. It did. It come, It came out of a little bit of boredom last summer. We were in Whitefish. So quick backstory is I grew up in Whitefish, Montana. I was born and raised here. I went to high school um, in Whitefish. And then I went to the University of Montana for my undergrad. And I ended up in California for grad school. So I find myself coming home in the summer. And when I was racing more full time, I spent a lot of time here training and traveling to racing. Um, but we spent the summer here last year during the pandemic. We wanted to come somewhere where there was less people and we, we, like everyone else, we were all still planning our races that we were going to go to that never happened. And it really, like, it gave Sam and I a time in our careers where, so Sam races for Legion, so he's racing full-time also. And we just started to have a little bit more fun instead of doing intervals up the pavement road to the ski mountain every day, like lunatics, you know, like road racers do. We're like, maybe we should try to go out and like enjoy some of these amazing, beautiful roads that we have. And we, so we started going out and Sam routed this ride one day that it blew my mind. It's just, it almost made me cry. It's so pretty. And we came home and we were like, it'd be really cool if we could share that what if what if we started our own event uh we're really good friends with ted and laura king and i had done rooted vermont the inaugural year in 2019 an event that i highly recommend that anyone getting into gravel tries because it made it like made me want to leave road racing and i don't mean that in a negative way it was just that point in my career where I was like, this is good for me. This is what I need mentally. Everyone's included. It's, you know, it was just so fun. And I've always seen Whitefish as a place where we need an event like that. And we don't have something like that in Montana. And I don't, I don't know why that's never happened. I mean, look at the events that are in Colorado and then there's Rebecca's Private Idaho. And it's like, selfishly, like I kind of want to show off my area. So we, 
we hightailed it down to the forest service office the next day and the next day (laughs) the next day because that's how my brain is I'm like okay now I'm focused (laughs) so we're gonna start you know they're like locked up masked up we're like knocking on the door we're like we have our masks I'm like can we come in we have this crazy idea and they're like we're in the middle of a pandemic like we're not giving out any permits right now we're like no no it's for next year but we need to know now (laughs) so they were awesome and we once we knew that we could put you know, forward motion with, like I said, we backed ourselves into the practical and the operational side first, then it just, it grew. And when we announced we were doing the race, we felt like, okay, people, they want to come here. And we also have the hook of Glacier National Park and this being a tourist destination and a place that people want to visit. So we felt like we can also provide an entire week of fun activities for you to do outside um, with your family or whether you want to come alone or however it is. So that that's pretty much, that was the reasoning behind the last best ride. Amazing. Amazing. Um, And before we, before we get too far into how that went and all of that, let's talk about like your athletic background. So you were on the road and then transitioned to gravel and where does, where does Pinarello come into this? How did, how did all of this play out in the last few years? Yeah, good question. So I started in Xterra off-road triathlon. Oh, that's why Leslie Patterson was your coach. That's why Leslie Patterson was my coach. So her husband, Simon Marshall, was my professor in grad school. And he had pictures of her all over his office. And I never told him this, but I used to go in there and like secretly look at Les. I was like, she is such a badass. Like, that I, I, I didn't even really know what triathlon was. I knew that it was these three sports. I didn't know what order it went in. And ironically at the university of Montana, Ben Hoffman and, um, Lindsay, they were both my classmates. So I went to school with two like world-class triathletes and <laughs> didn't even really know that we had a triathlon team or what was going on at the University of Montana. So I met Leslie and she started coaching me and I told her I want to do I want to do one of these Xterra races. I read about it in a magazine. They look really cool. And I didn't even know how to swim like I could swim like doggy paddle, but I didn't know how to swim. And so she yeah, she basically got me into triathlon and that really changed my life. But the reality is I was great at cycling and I listened to a podcast last week with Mari, who you just had on. And she talked a lot about when she was a triathlete, she wanted to focus on her weaknesses, which were swimming and running. And cause that's, you know, as we do, we want to be better at the things we're not good at. And so I did that for a really long time. And ultimately it was having the iliac artery endofibrosis in I ended up having it in both legs, but it took me out of running first and I was using cycling to recover. So I learned that my talent was in cycling and that I should really, really focus on that. And almost instantly the next year I had a contract with a professional road team. So I joined team 2016 when they were 2016 before they were 2020 and then 2024 race with them for two years. And Mari was my director on that team. Oh, so cool. Okay. Wait though. Um, Hang on. Xterra to road. I Um, know. What? I know. (laughs) Never, never occurred to you to go to mountain bike or how did that happen? 
I dabbled. I dabbled in mountain biking. I did the ultra endurance tour for um, two years and I did, I did okay, but I don't know what it was with mountain biking on the technical side. I was never going to be the best. It was like, I could get through these really long races and do well because of my endurance. But something about like, when I got on a road bike, I was a demon on the descents. And I, that was one of my biggest skill sets was I was such a good descender when I transitioned to road racing. And SoCal is such a road focused community where I was living. And so I'm on these group rides with a hundred guys who are egging me on. And they're like, you are really like, you should try this. You're really, really good at this. Um, yeah. So that that's kind of where I ended up going. And, you know, funny side note at the end of 2013, when I was recovering from my iliac artery surgery, going into the 2014 season with the goals of like, okay, well now I need to go from being a cat four <laughs> to a cat three to one. Like I need to move my way up. Um, Taylor Finney and some of his friends, Kiel Reinen came into town for the winter and I met them through the group rides and they were really awesome and nice to me. And we formed a friendship and they were also very much like, okay, we're going to make some introductions for you because you have this talent that needs, like people need to know about this. And so they were also helpful. They made introductions and, um, but then I started racing and I, I showed on my own that I deserve to be there. Um, my road racing career was tough though. My first year I had iliac artery surgery on my other leg. And then I had a really bad crash at the tour of Gila that took me out. Um, basically like 60 people piled up on me on a bridge and I was smashed into the wall. So it was never, it wasn't how I pictured it. It wasn't like, I'm going to be the next Evie Stevens and I'm going to go to the Olympic and Olympics and be that cyclist. But it was more like I learned how to be a teammate and I learned more about the tactical side of the sport and ended up realizing that I enjoyed that more, less, less. I enjoyed that pressure more than I enjoyed the pressure of winning. Okay. So that's the transition. Okay. And then I feel like coming back to, to gravel now is sort of like melding the, the bit of like the gritty Xterra off-roadedness with what you're really good at with the road. Um, so how did, yeah, how did that transit, when did that transition transpire and what made you decide, okay, I'm, I'm now the gravel person, not, not the road person. Yeah. I think again, it goes back to rooted Vermont in 2019. I was having that battle of, do I retire from road cycling? Am I ready? And part of it is like, you just, sometimes you don't want to let go of the schedule of being able to ride a lot and travel, you know, it's really hard, but I was getting to a point with JoJ where that was becoming stressful. And I didn't think that I could get the company to the point that I wanted it to be at traveling that much and committing that much to training. And it just seemed like for me, a better place where I could, I'm naturally good at long events. So I have that endurance innately. So it's like, whether I train a lot or not, I'm probably going to be able to get through these races. And it also just seemed like I, I was also in this space where I felt like what was more exciting to me was meeting people and helping people get into the sport and feel more comfortable and sort of 
having the opportunity to pass down all of the things that I had learned from older teammates. And that seemed like it was more rewarding to me and the drive to just race on the road. It's such a great opportunity. And I love my time doing that, but you have to be really selfish in a way that I don't feel like you have to be in gravel. And it's real, it's just a really interesting dynamic. So I wanted to make, yeah, the jump. And so the way I put my my resume and my deck together for the 2020 year was I'm in a race gravel, but I'm also going to, um, you know, or for the 2021 year, I'm in a race gravel, but I'm also going to run this event. And that's sort of the hook is that, you know, that's, I think that that discipline is drawing in sponsors and partnerships and it's generating a lot of good things. I think it's uplifting cycling in the U S right now. Mm -hmm. And so that is basically, we ride with the accountant for Pinarello. He's one of our buddies down in SoCal. And I wasn't, we weren't even pitching him. Sam was just actually telling him what we were thinking about doing. And he said, oh my gosh, Penarello is starting a program next year where they're looking for community leaders to do these exact things. And Sam was like, our race has a community leader program. We like, we are looking for community leaders to come to our race. And so we, I started talking with the new senior marketing manager of Penarello. Her name is Kim Rogers. And like, it was an instant, just like we were made to, to meet up and join forces. I love how many things that you've just said kind of involve like I was on this group ride or I was riding with this person and I just started having these conversations because I think a lot of people kind of assume that sponsorships just sort of and partnerships and stuff just kind of magically happen and someone someone at Pinarillo is scouring race results and like <laughs> looking through these things and are like that person we've never heard of her and like I've right. seen her before but like let's find her and hunt her down and get her on our team. And it's like, no, you, you actually had to go out and make these connections. And you also pointed out like the race resume and deck, like, again, this is like looking at it as a business. And I I've written a book called the athlete's guide to sponsorship that is talking about all of these things and talking like, no, it's a, it's a business. Um, oh, it's yeah. not just like this magical, wonderful thing that just happens. Um, so I'm really glad that you touched on that because I think a lot of people miss, miss that. And, you know, they look at your Instagram and see someone who's doing all of these things and kind of at the surface level, you're like, Oh, like, cool. Like that seems like she's got it like all together and like, it's easy and done. And it's like, no, this Mm -hmm. is a constant like yearly process. And you know, we're, we're adding things and continually like looking for more things. Yeah. (laughs) So really glad you brought that up. (laughs) What what is the name of your book? Uh, the athlete's guide to sponsorship. I'll, uh, okay. Yeah. I normally okay. have it so I could like hold it up, but of course I like have my last copy hidden somewhere. <laughs> I'll send I you a link to it. I need to use that as a reference because to your point, it does seem like that on social media and it is very hard. It's like before the season's even ending, you're on to the next year. And it's, it does seem very glamorous, but I can assure you that like the athletes that you do see on social media doing that, like I, like, you know, like Allison Tetrick or Ted King, or they're really hard workers and their life behind the scenes is a lot different than not in a bad way, but like they're, um, you know, they're forward thinking and, and that's 
you know, how we get to where we are, but yeah, it is so important. Like if you're waiting around for someone to reach out to you, that's not going to happen. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So love that we talked about that. And Okay. So you've, you've decided you're starting this gravel event. You've gotten some landowners on board. You've gotten the logistical side of it down. I feel like you really turned it into this like cool sort of must be at gravel event for this year, which is pretty impressive for a new event. Um, so, I mean, how did you, how did you spread the word and, and get, I mean, how did you get Keegan Randall cross country skiing <laughs> ultimate badass? Uh, how did you get her there? <laughs> So, okay, I tried to break it down into a few categories. We, luckily, I had a friend um, who is a writer write our press release because I was like, we need to take Sam out of it and have someone like from the outside write a press release. And we kind of faked our way through it. I talked to my friend, Julia, who is, she works for Iron Man. She's like one of their editors, writers. And I I was like, what is the cadence of how all of this happens? And so she kind of highlighted that for me. And so we just started sending our press release out and we wanted to do it in a way where we really thought about locally Montana, you know, growing up here, I understand this, the town that I live in Whitefish, it's, it's being overrun. There's so many people moving here and it's so expensive. And we're like, locals are pretty sensitive to that and they're sensitive to events and, you know, how is this benefiting our community? So I wanted to think press release for the local community and how we were going to take care of people here. So we did, instead of an early bird registration, we did an early fish registration where we did a day where locals only could register at a discount. And then we looked at, okay, national gravel scene and Velo News picked up our press release. And the day that they posted it, it was like, boom, our registration just went crazy. And um, Ben at Velo News and Betsy have been great. And Betsy, um, for those of you who don't know Betsy Welsh, you know, read her, read her writing, follow her. She's doing incredible things for women and really making sure to amplify our voices um, and the voices of smaller events. So those were really good connections to have. So we really, we worked, we worked hard at that. And I think what we, we just wanted to showcase, like you throw up pictures of the riding here and you don't have to do a lot more than that. But we did, we put some resources into having a video made, which described sort of our personal cause for the event, which is our champion scholar award. So as a kid growing up in Whitefish, I came from um, like a financially unstable background, great loving family. Just, we weren't a family where it was like, I had my college savings set aside. It was like, oh, I don't have any money to go to college. And I had a guidance counselor who helped me apply for all of these local scholarships. And it was almost local scholarships alone that funded the first half of my undergraduate education. So I've had this dream for so long that I wanted to have my own scholarship, like the scholarships I had won. So this was our way to do it. We thought the proceeds from the event could go into the scholarship fund. And that naturally sort of, you know, it was seamless to the overall theme of inclusivity. And it for us, yes, we wanted to leverage our friendships with riders that have social media presence and that could help spread the word because we don't want it to be a struggle forever. It's easier for us 
if we can make this event a success in the first year and then we can grow these amazing programs. So we, we invited our friends, but we also, our friends are people who we consider to be community leaders. And that was important to us, you know, that these are people that are helping to grow our sport, that are providing inclusive opportunities. And outside of that professional circuit, we wanted to find athletes that are underrepresented. And we wanted to find communities that are minoritized. And we wanted to bring them in. And we wanted to provide the ability to come to Montana, which is not cheap. So we provided some financial assistance. We provided host housing for all of our community leaders. And that piece of the program in its own was, you know, that was a really a lot of work on our end. And, but it goes to show like, you can't talk about these things. Like you just have to get out there and you have to start working it. And there was times where I was like, I've promised 18 houses and I have eight. <laughs> like, what am I going to do? You know, but eventually it caught on and it, it all worked out. And I think that's what people noted when they were here is how accepted they felt and then how much the community felt they were involved and also just to see different people in Whitefish. Like we're pretty, you know, we're a small community up in Montana and growing up here, I didn't even see a lot of diversity and it like, it just like warmed my heart. Honestly, it sounds so cheesy, but just to like look around and to see everyone in the park space where we had the event on the weekend and I was like, wow, like we, like we really did this. And, and it just made me feel like we had a huge success. Oh, I love it so much. The, the, the community concept is, it just makes me so happy. And to talk about all of these sort of like real life connections, not just like, I don't think I've heard you mention social media once it's been all people you ride with and people, you know, and people people who know people who know people who know people. Um, so I think it's, it's just really cool to hear more in life or in real life and like local stuff that then sort of spreads out. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's a powerful thing, isn't it? You know, yeah. <laughs> getting off the internet, weird. <laughs> you know, human connections. <laughs> it turns out we'd really like that. <laughs> yeah. Who would have thought? <laughs> um, okay. So Obviously everyone and their mother is trying gravel racing at this point. So as someone who both races it and organizes races, I really wanted to get into your best gravel tips. So let's start with maybe for like new riders as an organizer and as a racer yourself, what are your, what are your top tips for someone who's never done a gravel event before? So my top tip is to just to show up with what you have. Don't overthink the first one. I think that it's so cool. We had a gal on our podium who raced. She she made it on the podium on a steel bike with rim brakes. And it basically was really muddy the day of our event. And I made sure to call that out when I brought her up to the podium. Because those stories are really cool and a lot more relatable to you. Not everyone gets to ride a Pinarello. <laughs> like I do. And that's fine. That's you're, you're going to show up and you're going to realize that you're so embraced by everybody. And so my number one tip is if you can find a friend to go with, to show up most events, most gravel events are, you know, organ have organizers like us. And so we're not just thinking about the pros that want to do a hundred miles in less than five hours. A lot of it is thinking about there's going to be a shorter course and a more inclusive format. And 
you will automatically meet a network of friends just by showing up and starting. And honestly, the scariest and the hardest part of any race course is always the start line. No matter what, like I find that still, it's always a start line. And then once you start going, you're just going and then you're doing it. So it's like, come get past the start line feels. And then before you know it, you just have formed a community of friends. So good. So true. So true. It's funny. Uh, this morning we recorded an episode with, uh, cyclocross tips since it's cyclocross season now. And we actually said pretty much the same thing as far as just like, just start with what you have. I mean, obviously a road bike would be like a little iffy for cyclocross. Yeah, yeah. Although you know what, at this point with disc brakes and like the fact that you can put wider tires on, I'd probably go for it. Um, but yeah. yeah, I think people get really in their heads about like, even with, with gravel now, it's like, oh, I can't even use my cyclocross bike because I need a gravel bike. And it's like, no, just, just ride what you have. I use a cyclocross bike for literally everything other than mountain biking and it's fine. So I like that a lot. Yeah. One of our JoJ ambassadors, she's a mom of five. She just won um, her category of the SoCal state crit championship this weekend on her gravel bike. Nice. I love it. So, I mean, it. that's a reverse example, but yeah, I mean, you don't need, figure out if you like it and, and then it is cool to become informed and to start to get to nerd out a little bit on the gear and to learn like, okay, well there's tires where I feel more confident. And then now there's tire pressure and, oh, and then understanding like what, a, you know, what cassettes are and what chain rings are and how that works together. There's a lot that you can learn, but that's really interesting to you know, pick up as you go. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even like, I'm still learning like, okay, what do I want to put on a gravel bike? Like this is different than road biking and mountain biking. And also, by the way, gravel bikes these days are basically like mountain bikes of the early 2000s or late 90s they're so like they're so nice absolutely so. absolutely <laughs> um well on the note of like getting a little bit nerdier about gear the one question i had for you is that uh, gear that you wish athletes would bring to show up as like maximally prepared as possible for a gravel race so let's say someone is showing up to the last best ride and has, you know, a wide range of things that they already own or like is perfectly willing to buy whatever. What are some things that you would recommend having on you for the race? So tires are always first and you could, I mean, tires, we could spend the whole podcast on tires. We could run a whole podcast just about (laughs) tires. Yeah. Have the tire podcast. So with tread type and then what wheel you're putting them on. Most people are running tubeless tires and gravel and learning how to maintain tubeless. So I think that in learning tire pressure. So like for me, I'm running 125 tire or tire pressure. So like really low or 125. I'm running 25 tire pressure really like, low. Whoa, you're that's like, a bumpy ride. ride. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> such a road racer geez <laughs> yeah higher pressure the faster you are yep, no yep um I'm running like 25 so I'm running a really low tire pressure and so that in itself especially so Montana gravel is its own character um it's not sandy 
and it's not like huge bouldery rocks, but it's kind of like this chunky rock that you, you don't want to be bouncing around in it and you want kind of like a beefier tire here. Mm -hmm. Um, so tires would be my first piece of advice, learn that. And then gearing is also really important. And I learned that here last summer that I don't like having like a two by setup. So two chain rings in the front here because it's so much climbing and so much steep climbing on gravel that I actually run the SRAM Eagle like mountain bike setup basically. Nice. So I have a, yeah, I have a 1050 cassette in the back. So it's like a dinner plate, like a huge setup and that like, it's so comfortable. Um, and that can completely change your ride experience. And then you gain confidence because you're riding up things and over things because you have that the gearing available. And then the third piece would be nutrition. And I think that that's something that is equally like that's, you know, could be another whole podcast and it's very specific, but it's also something that you have to practice. Like, how do you get nutrition in while you're riding? Do you learn to take it in while you're bouncing around? Do you stop, but you have to take care of yourself. And that also bleeds into like your mental state when you're racing. Cause when you get behind on that, you're instantly finding yourself being negative not liking the bike. And so it's like physical and mental all stems from nutrition. Um, so obviously I'm going to recommend that everyone tries JoJ bar mm -hmm. and salt stick for their electrolytes because that is JoJ's uh, sister brand now, but just also, you know, having a plan, a plan for that and taking advantage of the aid stations and taking care of yourself. I've never really met anyone at the end of a bike race that was like, I drank too much and ate too much and it wrecked me. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know what? That is absolutely a hundred percent true. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely not after like a long event, maybe after like running a 5k or something, you could make that yeah. argument, but like right. definitely not after a gravel ride or any ride really. Yeah. It's normally the opposite. So eat early, drink early, eat often, drink often. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think that's, that's fantastic advice. Um, and then the last question before we go into how everyone can find you and keep up with, with the, the ride and maybe get in for, for 2022. Um, how are you balancing all of this? Cause even now you just kind of tossed in the real salt stick as like a casual, uh, like, Oh, this other company that I'm, I'm doing stuff with. Um, also anyone listening to this that knows me is just like, Ooh, someone just mentioned salt. I'm kind of like, a little bit on the salt obsessed side. Like oh. if you open our like glove box of our car, there's a salt shaker. Oh, to provide some context. So I'm very excited hey. about this. <laughs> We're on the same wavelength here. I once cried when a restaurant, like it was just a random burrito place. And I asked for salt because normally I have to salt all of my food. And they were like, oh, we don't have any. And I was like beside myself. Um, I think we actually had to like drive to a McDonald's or something. So my husband could go in and grab salt packets for me because oh I was gosh. so upset about it. That's the level I'm at. So that's why you have a salt shaker in the glove box. Now you don't have to go to McDonald's. Yeah. I don't mess around anymore. Yeah. Um, so yeah. How, how the heck are you hand like balancing all of this stuff? And I mean, both in a, how are you making time for training and just honestly, out of curiosity, how do you keep things organized, whether it's like a planner or software that you're using or like, what are you doing? So I sold JoJ in March to 
a company called Elite Active Nutrition. It was formerly known as Roadrunner, not the retail store. We actually changed our name because it was confusing. And Elite is A-L-E-T-E, as in all athletes. So um, this company is funded by a private equity firm, which sounds like, oh no, Jess, what did you do? But this private equity firm is not your typical scenario. When I was pitched by the CEO of what they were trying to do, he was basically like, what do you want to do? Make up your job. And I said, well, I want to be in charge of community and events and product development. And I if I'm going to sell this company, I want to use all of our resources to help bring underrepresented people into sport. And he was like, done. So my title is vice president of product and community development. So that allows me flexibility. Running an event um, is technically part of my job. Being at events is part of my job. And they also understand the value of having an athlete founder and if we're at an event like Unbound and I'm talking to people who are racing and also explaining, I created these and I'm racing tomorrow too, it's more relatable. So that is helpful. If it was something like if I was the accountant and, you know, a pro athlete, it'd be a little bit different. So that, that is very helpful. And Salt Stick it was the first brand that was brought into this platform. And we now also own Bonk Breaker. So I need to send you some, so we have these, I've never been a salt capsule swallow person, like doing that, riding is hard. We have this product called Fast Chews and the best way to describe it, they're like a sweet tart and you suck on them. It absorbs into your bloodstream through your mouth, which is like instant electrolyte absorption, but they're very tasty. So I, I need to send you some, Definitely, um, you'll, you'll really like them, but and I'll send you some JoJ bars too. So you can have, I don't know if you've tried all of our flavors, but oh, amazing. That's, that's how I manage it. And I'm not really a software person. I'm learning to be better. We have a new member on our team and she's really good at, she's kind of helping us all integrate, but I have a huge whiteboard. I'm a visual person where I have like my quadrants of, okay, here's race, here's Jess and here's JoJ. And I don't try to do it all in one week. I can't balance everything in one week, but I do know that overall it has to balance out. So if I'm so busy with work on one week, if I'm not riding a little bit, I'm going to be crazy, but that means I maybe don't see friends on next week. So the following week, it's like schedule a couple dinner parties or do something. And it's really, it's that simple for me. I think that it's inherent in my personality, the way that I work. And I feel very uncomfortable when I'm comfortable. And so I just can't, be, I'm like, I'm, I've watched a movie for 30 minutes and now I need to like do some laundry and write a new business plan. Like it's way too relaxing. So maybe eventually I'll get tired of that, but for now it makes me really happy. I like it. I mean, it sounds like you have, I mean, pretty much you, you've carved out the dream job for yourself and like sort of your best case scenario for what you get to do on both like sort of the global broader scale basis, but then even on the the daily basis. And I really like the idea of the quadrant quadrants. And I'm glad you mentioned that like personal Jess is also one of the quadrants because I think so many people get into this, um, work is over here and training is over here and then side hustles over here. And then we kind of forget about the actual 
community social side of things, mm-hmm. with the exception of like maybe the occasional group ride where we're trying to like kick the crap out of our friends, but we're not actually <laughs> hanging out with them or chatting or anything. So it's that quality time. Yeah, go figure. <laughs> so I'm super, super glad that you you mentioned that. Um, okay, before we wrap up, where can everyone find you? Is there one hub that people can kind of like go to to kind of branch out of? It's your Instagram has links to a lot of these things. Um, so that and maybe a, one of the best website to find everything. Yeah, so it's just Sarah's my Instagram, J-E-S-S-C-R-R-A. Um, and you can find the links to the Joje and the Salt Stick. We, our website is jojbar.com. It will soon become a new website that houses all of these brands. So we're building this platform currently. And that's the easiest way to find me. For the race, it's at The Last Best Ride. And our website is thelastbestridemt, as in montana.com. We're about to announce our date for next year. And our registration uh, launch date. So what I'm... I'm hoping we sell out in the first day. <laughs> Amazing. Yes. Well, we'll have to, we'll, we'll post this probably before that goes live, but we'll make sure we remind everyone when the registration goes live. So definitely keep us posted about that. Yep. I will for sure. And we'll hopefully be bringing back a ton of our community leaders, including Keegan, who yeah. I never, never even, never even told you that story. Yeah. But, <laughs> but let's just quickly go there because uh, Ted King texts me and he was like, sorry to do this to you. I know that like, you're probably getting hit up left and right, but here, Keegan Randall is starting gravel and I'm trying to convince her that your race should be her first race. And I was like, done. Like, that's <laughs> the point is like, this is, we need like non-endemic people in gravel if we want to grow it. And oh my gosh, all of the, lo- the local ski girls here were over the moon. I mean, they were like running around, Jess, when is Keegan going to get here? When do we get to meet her? Like she's, the- there's girls here who have posters of her in their room. Oh. So it was like to bring her into a ski community was even more cool. And Amazing. she was just great and she crushed it. And yeah, it was really, it's, see, that's what I mean about like, just show up. I mean, she's mm-hmm. Keegan, so, but it doesn't matter. Like people just come to this sport to make friends and to anyone listening, if you ever see me at a gravel event, come say hi. And I enjoy meeting new friends too and having new riding friends. (laughs) Thanks so much for tuning into the consummate athlete podcast. If you enjoyed this or any of our past episodes, do us a solid and leave us a rating or review wherever you listen to podcasts and check out our book, becoming a consummate athlete over at consummateathlete.com. Questions or comments? Find us over on Instagram at consummateathlete, and we will see you next week.